0: The questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: The aliens have arrived. While most UFO discussions are rehashes of old cases, tonight we present to you cutting-edge UFO research with several all new original cases of extensive contact. Greetings. I'm your host, Mal Fabrigas. Tonight, we'll discuss a wide variety of ETs, including various types of greys, praying mantis-type ETs, humanoids, and Nordics. The witnesses are normal, everyday people who suddenly find themselves in very unusual situations. The unique and unusual nature of the cases will surprise even those well-versed in the UFO literature. These cases are included in a new book titled Inside UFOs, True Accounts of Contact, Its author and tonight's special guest is Preston Dennett, who began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986, when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic unexplained encounters. Since then, he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He is a film investigator for MUFON, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of 20 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. His articles have appeared in numerous magazines and have been translated into several languages. His website is linked at ours, where you can also find a more extensive bio. Preston Dennett joins us directly from Southern California. Hello, Preston, and welcome to Veritas. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you? Thanks, Mel.
1: Appreciate having on the show. Very well. I'm so glad to have you on, because as I told you offline, your name has been around me for many, many years, and you have written 20 books. You've been at this for over 30 years. You're one of those people that, you know, a who's who in the UFO community. And I'm glad that it's been nine years, but finally we we got you on here. Preston, first of all, congratulations on the new book, Inside UFOs, True Accounts of Contact. But the question that comes to mind to anybody who starts in this field, how did you get involved in UFO research?
0: Uh, Well, I can tell you it wasn't voluntary. It was kicking and screaming, (laughs) really. Uh, I was very, yeah, I was very skeptical. Um, This was a subject that kind of repulsed me. Uh, wasn't interested in it. Did not believe in it. Very skeptical, and uh, thought most of my family was. Turns out they were lying to me or keeping secrets, rather. Uh, Same thing. Uh, I heard this report in the news about a sighting over Alaska. Sure, you've heard of it. It's a very famous sighting by Kenju Taroshi. He's the pilot. This was in November, 1986, and he sighted a UFO while flying his commercial Japanese airliner.
1: Yep. I was going to say Japanese, Japan Airlines. Yeah.
0: Right. Over Alaska and uh, amazing sighting, really. Uh, the whole crew saw it. It paced their aircraft for many miles for, I think it was nearly an hour. Appeared on their radar, appeared on ground radar. There were other witnesses. And you know, none of this was in the news report. They just kind of, oh, a pilot saw a UFO and they chuckled about it and made a few nervous jokes and moved on. But I thought to myself, this is a commercial pilot. Is he out of his mind? What is, you know, is he hoaxing? Why would he say such a thing? He seems serious. I thought, you know, he's got to be lying, he's got to be on drugs, he saw a reflection off the ice cap, but there's no way he saw an alien spaceship. And I kind of started talking about it to my family, my friends, and the people at uh, my office. And I have to tell you, Mel, I got a huge shock. I was hit by a ton of bricks when I found out that my brother had seen a UFO. Uh, he saw it with his two friends. My sister-in-law saw a UFO over Van Nuys Air Force Reserve Base here in California and later had a face-to-face encounter with your typical gray-type ETs. And it just went on from there. I had a friend who had a missing time encounter. He was also with someone else at the time. All these people had other witnesses with them. So this was kind of shattering my, uh I guess you would say, uh, my beliefs about it, that everyone who saw a ufo was alone they were uneducated they were from kansas or something uh but that wasn't the case uh, i was i brought it up at work i'm like diane you know did you hear about this pilot who saw a ufo and she's like oh yeah me and my whole family we saw a ufo up in the san gabriel mountains it was darting around it would stop hover and turn at right angles and i knew she wasn't lying <laughs> I was pretty sure she wasn't misperceiving, Dorothy, you know, who I also worked with for, gosh, 10 years, walks in and hears us talking, she says, oh, I saw a UFO, in fact, my best friend saw it too, and my mother, it followed us home from the library, and she says, Preston, you know, it's weird, it takes us only five minutes to get home from the library, we left at 9, right when the library closed, and she says, we didn't get home till 10.15 this is the strange time. Time. <laughs> yeah and, you know here I am this is like day one and I right off into the deep end uh, never really heard of missing time <laughs> so this really hit me hard it was not good news I felt completely scandalized uh, could not believe people I loved and trusted were keeping the secret from me and I asked them about, about it and they said well would you have believed me if I told you and I'd just tell them, no, honestly, I probably wouldn't have. Uh, but I, you know, I started to believe then. I bought all the UFO books thinking, you know, I'm going to prove them wrong. And that's not what the UFO books were saying. I found out there's a mountain of evidence already. This was, you know, 30 years ago. So yeah, God, I just couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. So I got obsessed with it.
1: And of, course, and of course, in the 80s, we had a lot. And by the way, I'm getting feedback if you can lower the, the speakers a little bit. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Well, the 80s, we, we saw a huge wave of UFOs in the 1970s. But have you heard that in 2015-16, we have seen, allegedly, there are more sightings now than we ever had before? If so, to what do you attribute that? Is it because of cell phones and technology at the disposal of people who can film?
0: Yeah, I have two explanations for that and I'm not sure which is right. I think one possibility is that people are becoming much more aware of this phenomenon, much more uh, aware that UFOs are flying around and so they're reporting them more. But I'm not sure that that's true. I think there is also some evidence showing that there's an escalation Of sightings of this phenomena in that I mean this started out with the modern age of UFOs in the 1940s right late 1940s and back then there wasn't a whole lot of uh, sightings I mean there were waves and such but not a whole lot of landings um certainly abductions were unheard of pretty much until the you know this late 60s and early 1970s and I think what we're seeing more and more is, are these massive waves over large population centers. And I would point to uh, Hudson Valley or Gulf Breeze or Mexico City, uh, Belgium. I, mean, I could go on. There's just one after another. Stevensville, Texas was probably one of the more recent ones. But it looks to me like they're putting on a publicity campaign and trending towards Open contact, open official contact. I cannot see it going the other way. I think that the UFOs are here to stay. The evidence is that they've been around us for thousands of years. But what's happening now seems to me to be historically unprecedented. I mean, there's just nothing like this. If you look back through, you know, the centuries where there's just a saturation of sightings, so yeah, I think it is escalating, and I think we're trending towards open official contact.
1: Well, a few years ago, you remember the sightings in Mexico City, uh, Guadalajara, and just a couple of weeks ago, I received some video of multiple sources in, I believe it was Tijuana, the border with the United States, and it was another flotilla, or armada. I mean, we're talking about dozens and dozens of these white craft moving in unison, I I don't know of anybody who have seen them in the United States, but it seems that in countries where they don't shoot them down, they seem to be more prevalent. Do you agree with that?
0: Uh, to some extent. I think we are lagging behind here in terms of disclosure. Certainly, Mexico has been very forthcoming and uh, other countries as well. But, uh, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, we have had some major sightings here, but there's an aggressive cover-up. Uh, and it's pretty rare that it makes it to the mainstream evening news. It would have to be a huge event like, you know, the O'Hara airport. Oh, Chicago. Yeah, they right um Things like Stevensville. Just a few are big enough to really crack through this kind of uh media cover up that we have. So I think we do have the sightings. It's, we're just not hearing about it on the mainstream news.
1: I think it's interesting that you said that some of your friends and relatives kept a quote-unquote kept a secret, but I don't think they do it. And I know many people who quote-unquote keep the secret, and it's not that they want to keep a secret; they just want to keep their sanity, and they want to keep their friends and family members. Because, as you probably know, by doing this for so many years, is that the amount of pressure and ridicule you go through by people at your workplace, by people outside, and your family. They just don't understand. Those who haven't seen it cannot understand it. I mean, I personally have not had an experience that you could say, oh, you met an alien. I have seen, I have seen craft, I've seen lights, I've had experiences with human looking, a person who said things about my past and about my future that nobody else did, and then disappeared after I left that location after spending time with her for years. You know, very, very difficult to explain to people who don't know that this is a reality.
0: Yeah, skeptics, they dig in their heels hard and they refuse to examine evidence, I think for a number of reasons. It is kind of scary to consider this subject, it affects you to your core, It's kind of really hits your whole world view. I mean, after I found out this was real, I had to readjust everything. Uh, I mean, it was never taught in schools. I felt, like I said, scandalized. I had I'd become more skeptical in a way because now I have to really question everything and thinking, you know, am I getting this? What's the reality here? And, you know, I think there are still people within my circle of, you know, family and friends who have had encounters and still won't talk about it. It makes them uncomfortable. They're not happy with this subject. I think it's a really important subject. I think it's very interesting and uh, I'm fascinated by it. I'm very open at work. And I think more and more we're kind of getting over that ridicule factor. Back in the day, yeah, people could be really cruel. And I'd go on, you know, TV shows every now and then. And they'd put a debunker right up next to me to bash me down and in a personal way. I don't get that hardly at all anymore. So I think we're making progress. I, I mean, I sure hope so.
1: I think the debunkers are there for a reason, as you mentioned disclosure, why are they keeping the secret the, the biggest secret to humanity if these craft come from other worlds? I mean we haven't been to their worlds, which immediately you presume that they are more advanced than we are. If that's the case, they have convert uh, they have conquered space travel, they have conquered probably disease, the they have conquered energy. All those things, the two things I just said, health and energy, those are the two most profitable industries in our world. So if they were come they were to come here and share those secrets, our biggest industries will just collapse, which will immediately cause a, a financial collapse worldwide. wouldn't you would you say that this is a reason why the secret is kept?
0: Oh, yeah, I think you hit the nail right directly on the head. It's a power struggle. It has to do with greed and money and holding power. And to a certain extent, who's ever doing this, covering it up, uh, some aspect of our government, other governments, I think it's the high levels of the military and probably corporations as well, but they've painted themselves into a corner. Um, It's going to be really hard to clear the slate with this. I think it is going to happen, we're seeing it. We're, there's a very strong movement towards disclosure. Um, people from every level of government have come forward, from presidents to generals to mayors to governors, senators, have all said positive statements about UFOs. So I think there's sort of, it's an open conspiracy now. Uh, we're, it's going to disclose, the cat's out of the bag. It's gonna happen. I don't know. I mean, I wanna see the Roswell UFO in a museum in my lifetime. And I don't know if I'm gonna get to see that, but someday I I just can't imagine that this goes the other direction.
1: Why isn't that when we think of the origins of UFO or or in our vernacular, of course, we have the Kenneth Arnold and the flying saucers in the 1950s, but we had the, the Roswell incident. That was kept quiet. Until probably, correct me if I'm wrong, was it 1978 that Stan Friedman was the one who came out with it and then all of a sudden in the 1970s this blew up until now?
0: Right. Can you imagine? Our tax dollars are being used to cover this up and the UFO community would not even consider crashed flying saucers. The first mention I think was with Frank Scully's book, uh, Behind the Flying Saucers, yes. which was you know, viciously attacked. And now a lot of researchers are looking back at it and saying, oh, you know, there's probably a lot of truth to what was in this book. He talked about the Aztec UFO crash. But yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think we've been very slow to pick up on this, the UFO community in particular. <laughs> I mean, we were skeptical UFO researchers, I should say, were slow to even pick up on a accounts of abductions and humanoids people were yeah we'll talk about sightings we'll talk about radar return cases maybe landings but uh humanoid cases were slow to be accepted as well so i guess uh, it's just very difficult for our society to uh accept this not sure why that would be but uh yeah i think that's the case but you know speaking of ufo crashes i I'm of the opinion that they're a lot more common than people realize. It's it's not just Roswell and, you know, Kecksburg, Pennsylvania and the uh, Paradise Valley crash in Arizona. I written a series of books on There was a crash
1: states. in Paradise Valley? I thought it was the, the, the sighting in nineteen ninety seven. was there a crash?
0: In Arizona, in the Paradise Valley, yeah, Kingman
1: area. Oh Kingman, of course. Yeah. Paradise Valley was what we saw in 1997, uh, March, uh, by uh, Dr. Lincoln tie Is that what you're referring to?
0: Oh, no, not the Phoenix Lights,
1: which is a- Which is in is. Paradise Valley, but Kingman, yes, the, the other, right.
0: Right, but my point is, you know, having written like UFOs over California, um, a book about New York, New Mexico, Nevada, Colorado's coming out later this year, every one of these states, um, It shocked me. They all have at least a couple UFO crashes, some up to, I mean, New Mexico has like a dozen of them, California as well. Uh, New York has a a handful of them. They all do. So each state has at least one, I mean, we're talking 50, 100, 200 UFO crashes in the United States alone. So, uh, I mean, what's going on here?
1: I live in the Southwest in Arizona, you probably have been around here, I think. And when you drive at night, say from Sedona or the Grand Canyon, and you stop your car at night, the nights are unbelievable. It's almost as if you're under a planetarium, and it only takes about fifteen minutes before you start seeing lights that you know change. They're not they're not uh, uh, what do you call it uh, shooting stars. They just change direction, and you think. What could that possibly be? But it's just that most people are not looking up or they live in places like where you are in Southern California where you have light pollution and you cannot appreciate the sky. But those who can appreciate the sky, I would encourage you to go outside at night and take a look. Take a chair, cup of coffee, tea, and look up. I guarantee you that in less than an hour, you'll see something and it's going to make you question everything.
0: Oh, yeah. I totally agree. You know, I never saw anything growing up. Uh, didn't really look though. And I started investigating this stuff and almost immediately I started having sightings. And over the years, I've probably had a good dozen really good sightings. And yeah, if you want to see a UFO, you just got to go out and look for them. It's just that easy.
1: It's like people when you mention, I don't mean to bring the word chemtrails, but I'm sure you know what that is, right? Oh, yeah. When you tell somebody, look up and take a look at the sky. And they haven't seen, they haven't noticed chemtrails before and they say, "What? those are clouds. But when you explain to them that it's impossible, that those five planes are commercial jetliners just going by and spreading these things, all of a sudden, the next day they're like, gosh, I'm seeing these things that I never saw before. So why is it that this has been around for so many years and not until you start researching it or looking at it that you notice it?
0: Yeah. A lot of people are walking around with blinders on. They don't want to know. They're not interested. They're putting their heads in the sand and focusing on, well, it's partly the media's fault, this pounding of celebrities and scandals and politics and violence and all these drug companies putting all these commercials out of these various drugs. It's just nonstop. People don't have time to breathe or think. Uh, I think people are beginning to wake up now. UFOs, everyone knows what a UFO is. Most people believe in them now. I think we're very close to busting into the mainstream and having this taught in schools and, ha- and throwing some real money and attention towards this subject, which it still hasn't gotten. Even after, you know, what is it now since Roswell? 60 years. We have not done any real serious Um, global research into this subject. It's been small citizen groups. It's been, you know, shows like yours and, uh, you know, the occasional TV show, but no real heavy duty effort to figure out what's going on. Uh, At least not openly. I'm sure, you know, within our government, especially at the super high levels. Oh yeah. They're studying this thing to death. But, uh, openly? No, not yet.
1: Well, you're saying Roswell, but we can go back all the way to Aurora, Colorado in the late 1800s where even people created a burial site out of respect for the humanoids or whatever crashed there. And then we can go back to hundreds of years before, we can see the art showing what it's obvious to me to be flying saucers with lights coming out of the sky. Those are things that are out of place uh, in time and space also you mentioned I laugh whenever i hear people mentioning when they turn on the tv all they see is big pharma commercials for medication and and things i i try not to watch tv because of that because when i turn on the tv i see these commercials and it makes me question my own sanity and my health
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i'm right there with you it's a crazy situation that's going on right now i do think that it's intentional. I think that there is a cover up and they're still doing the best they can to keep a lid on this. But it's become impossible. The secrets have piled on top of each other to such a degree that it's come tumbling down. There's the cover up is leaking all over the place. Uh, very high level officials are coming out from all levels. I'm um, saying, Oh yeah, now we've had saucers years, you know, I've seen the bodies or I've I'm like with the Roswell crash, just as an example, there have been interviews with pretty much everyone who was involved in that, from the persons who saw the saw it on radar, from the people who guarded it, from the people who picked up the record, from the people who uh, reverse engineered the technology, from the people who cut up the bodies. And so I, I think it is slowly. Coming into the public, but it's it's inch by inch,
1: well, like you, I was very into it, probably from the nineteen seventies, and it wasn't until two thousand eight when I created this program, just because I heard the story of Milton Torres. you remember that that case
0: uh you'd have to refresh me on that one
1: Milton Torres, he was a former Air Force pilot who, in nineteen fifty seven he was stationed in east uh, in in East Anglia, England. And he was ordered to to uh, basically uh, go on his plane with his wingman and, and go and shoot down a UFO the size of an aircraft carrier. And he kept that secret for 50 years. And it was until 2008 when the British Ministry of uh, Defense declassified that case. And that's what motivated me to ask questions more than before. And that's what why this show is about I mean, how can you not believe this man who kept this secret he was crying on my show saying that for 50 years he couldn't tell the story he couldn't tell his own father he couldn't tell his family because they said if you tell anybody things are gonna happen and you know somebody's gonna die and this is what happens to most of these people
0: yeah that's our tax dollars at work for you it's it's infuriating um yeah I got involved pretty much for the same reason. I think this is a very important subject. A lot of people are really suffering uh trying to keep this secret. One of the first things that, you know, when I interview someone say who's had ex- extensive contact, really the first thing they'll say is uh I've never told this to anybody, not even my wife or husband or uh I'm not on drugs, <laughs> I'm not crazy. I wish I was. Uh I'm well-educated, they go through all these caveats, and they still kind of look at me nervously, like, is this guy going to ridicule me? Does he believe me? And uh, you can tell they're sincere, uh, especially when they start getting to the more uh, profound parts of their encounter, uh, the, you know, tears do come into their eyes and people do cry. Uh, so yeah, this is, I think, very important on several levels, like, like I often say, I think I mean we have this technology we have the ET technology. If we were to release this and just you know let let the chips fall where they may, we could solve the energy crisis we could solve this environmental crisis we could solve the economic crisis we could completely change the world overnight and I think it is going to happen. I'm just not so sure how smooth the transition is going to be and if the powers that be. Are going to, you know, let go of this, uh, unwillingly, or if they're gonna work to disclose it. In my opinion, it's to their benefit to really push disclosure forward. Because if they wanna remain in control of what's going down, they're gonna have to start to disclose. Because the truth is out there. We all have cell phones now. Someone's gonna record something, and it's gonna be undeniable. Or a UFO is gonna hover over Phoenix again and not go away or LA or New York or whatever. And it's gonna explode. We've gotta be ready for that. And I think that is why our government or who's ever just covering this up should really start becoming more aggressive in disclosing this.
1: Remember the story of Battle of LA? Was that the 1940s?
0: Yep, yep. one of the first times we shot at a UFO. Yeah, definitely, I've talked to witnesses uh, who were there at the time. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, of course, quite elderly now. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, had a had wonderful opportunity. Um, studied the incident in detail and uh, find it very, very convincing. Uh, I mean, we shot 1,500-plus rounds at this thing and could not bring it down. That's and the question. It, so... Did we bring it down? Well, officially, no. But more recently, Um, There's been some documents released that says that, yes, we actually shot one of these. There were multiple objects seen on that uh, incident. Apparently, one of them was shot down. And this is, of course, uh, pre-Roswell. So there's been a number, apparently, of uh, UFO crashes or crash retrievals, perhaps would be a better term, uh, that predate Roswell. So yeah, we've known about this for a long time. There was a cover up of that incident. They tried to call it a balloon, uh, which didn't fly the explanation, uh, when the LA Times put a picture on the cover of their paper the next day showing this thing, um, train, you know, right there in the searchlights. Uh, yeah, it's an amazing incident. I don't think we've heard the whole story. I don't know if we ever will. But certainly uh, one of the biggest incidents uh, of that time.
1: And this is why I love these newspaper articles from that era. I, I say this story all the time. A few years ago, there was this couple here in Tucson who was an avid uh, collectors of of books of all sorts of books, all the way from the 40s, 50s, 60s. And I have them all here. I just don't have the time to to be able to dissect them all. But among that, they gave me an album that has newspaper clippings all the way from the 60-cent 70s. And I wish that I could post a story every week of all these things that, that I have here. I just haven't had the time. But hopefully in the future, I'll find somebody to help me put that out there because I think it would be very important to digitize, uh, to make it in a, a digital format, to have it available. Uh, but with your 30 years of research, 20 books under your belt, have you found – and before we get to, to the cases – have you found a lot of parallels a lot of common denominators between the people telling you the stories some of the give us some of the parallels that you have seen
0: uh well i haven't found a whole lot of patterns in terms of i mean who has experiences it's i did study all my cases looking for you know who is seeing this stuff and why and it was evenly divided right down the middle between men and women uh could not find any pattern in terms of age or religion or race or education. I did find some patterns as to where these settings are taking place. Most are in suburbs, suburban areas, and then equally between urban areas and rural. Uh, but no real pattern as to who's having these experiences. I did find some loose patterns. Um, one pattern I noticed is people who are having particularly extensive encounters um, by that I mean, you know, missing time or a face-to-face encounter or going on board or something like that. Uh, these people often have had other unexplained experiences, such as, uh, maybe ghost sightings or, uh, out-of-body experiences or a near-death experience or premonition or something like that. Um, they seem to be more spiritually or psychically aware. Uh, that's one pattern. Another pattern I noticed, and this was very loose, was that people who are having major contact are often, not often, but sometimes uh, doing what I would call good work for humanity. And by that, I mean social workers, uh, doctors, inventors, uh, entertainers, police officers, um, people like this. And I don't know if that's a real pattern. I noticed it mostly in I wrote a book on UFO healings, and uh, it it kind of stuck out there more than sort of a general encounter. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the only pattern (laughs) I really found as to who's seeing this. I did notice early on, which uh, I think was verified by a lot of researchers, that people who have extensive contact, um, abductees, contactees, have a lifetime of experiences starting usually in early childhood. And often it's generational, stretching back to their parents and grandparents, and perhaps even farther. Though it's, I don't have a whole lot of accounts of that. That does seem to be what's taking place.
1: I remember interviewing Jim Sparks. You know, I think, uh, years ago, and some of the things that he said. It's not that I repeat it by many of the others, but for example, the fact that he was abducted from an early childhood. Then he found out later in life that his I think a mother or his parents were both, as you said, intergenerational. But also, some of the things that were presented to him were these visuals on 3D of visions of the future where our planet is dying. I hear that a lot from abductees. Do you?
0: Oh, yeah. And I think that speaks towards their agenda. I think ETs have multiple agendas, just like we all do. Uh, in our lives. Uh, one of their major agendas is clearly with genetics. They seem to be very interested in examining people. And that's probably the thing I hear most often when someone is taken on board is, you know, I was physically examined. But beyond that, when ETs talk to a person or give messages or converse, it's almost always that, a warning of Ecological disaster or nuclear proliferation or pollution or overpopulation. And that stretches back to the contactee era of the 1950s, uh, which, you know, has kind of split the UFO community. Some people believe, you know, George Adamski and Mm -hmm. Howard Menger. Who else? Daniel Fry.
1: Who did you say say after Adamski?
0: Howard Menger. Truman Betharum was another one. Uh, Daniel Fry. You know, these are all people who were in contact. They said with friendly human-looking ETs. But what I find interesting is their messages are this. The messages from those ETs, the friendly human-looking ones, are the same ones as the Grays are giving, <laughs> which is warnings of a disaster, upcoming disaster, over and over again. It's the number one thing, um, in my research at least, that ETs tell people. And I think that speaks towards their agenda of trying to uh, save our planet.
1: One thing I can never find, at least with the cases that I've investigated, is where the beings are from. It seems that they want to keep that quiet, and I don't blame them. All you have to do is take a look at our, our, any country in our, on our planet, our plane, and, and see the situation we live in. Maybe they don't want us to find out where they come from. Have you found out where some of these beings come from?
0: Um, not really. I have the same experience as you did. Of course, we know Be- the Betty and Barney Hill case and the star map and Zeta Reticula. And that has come up in a number of cases, Zeta Reticula. Um, and there have been you know, some answers given, like Orion, Andromeda, uh, Cygnus. But generally speaking, you no, know, they're very tight-lipped about it. And, in fact, I've had people ask them directly. And uh, in one contact case, which took place in Arizona, uh, they, it was a friendly contact. They were not traumatized. They were basically invited on board. They had missing time, a couple, uh, who were driving through Sedona and had this UFO kind of following their car. And then it went in front of their car and then it landed in the field.
1: Sedona? And, yes surprise surprise all right
0: <laughs> and the next thing they know you know they're arriving at their hotel room and it's too late it's hours too late They were missing time and later underwent hypnosis uh he couldn't remember anything but she did and she recalled being invited on board they were human basically human looking uh figures they were dressed in jumpsuits had large dark eyes pale white skin and bald heads but you know, if they wore a hat and sunglasses and uh, you know put a little makeup on, she says they probably could have passed for human easily and she conversed with them. She asked them, "You know why did you contact us?" And they said, "Well, we're contacting people who are helping humanity, but we can't help you too much. You need to learn to solve your own problems." Um, these guys were alternative healers and very well known in their community in Hawaii uh, and uh, she asked them, "Well where are you from?" <laughs> And they said, oh, we're from a place you don't know about yet, which was typical. You know, another lady, she's like, where are you guys from? And they said, that's not important. (laughs) So they kind of evade that answer. And like you said, I think the reason is because, I mean, look at how awful, aggressive we are, how prejudiced with people, you know, who are human, but. May have a different religion or a different belief or a different skin color. So These guys are quite a bit different than the average human in terms of all of that. So I think that they're worried about our aggression and that would be the main reason they're not telling us where they're from and also the main reason probably why we haven't had open official contact or more, more open contact than we've already had.
1: You think this is a way to let's call it a, let's call it disclosure light instead of overtly come out and as many people speculate as landing a craft in the white house lawn and so on which is not going to happen but instead using as you said doctors you know firemen or uh, people who are helping others and perhaps they're implanting these thoughts or Let's call them what what it is. Some people think I just learned this from a dream last night. I don't know how it happened, but this is the way it is. And I wrote it all down. And it's it's a it's an alternative cure. Or or uh, some people speculate that Tesla was in contact because a lot of his creations were just unbelievable. In my, in my opinion, he was probably the biggest genius the, the 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 humanity ever had. But a lot of his findings, discoveries, creations, inventions were as you know, hijacked by the powers that want to be, I will never see them, at least for now. So you think that these beings are implanting thoughts and, and, and memories into people so that we can improve this planet without the fear of a H.G. Wells, Orson Wells War of the Worlds scenario.
0: Right, yeah, I think that's it, exactly. And I agree with you about Tesla. I think he said his, himself, that he was in contact with ETs. And, uh, yeah, a lot of his inventions we will, will never see, but he fits the pattern, certainly, of people who've had contact that i found. And I think what the ETs are doing is they know, probably, I don't know from experience or what, that to land on the White House lawn or anywhere and just not go away is going to cause some people to be really upset. There's going to be a portion of the population who's going to demonify them. Already there is. There's a lot of people who thinks that the whole UFO phenomena are demons, and uh, there's going to be a portion of people who are going to say they're angels and will worship them. I think it's much less now than it was in the past, uh, probably because of their work. But that's what they're doing. It's sort of a grassroots movement. You know, I'm of the opinion they probably have contacted a lot of our world leaders. Uh, certainly, there's rumors of that, the Eisenhower landing in uh, Edwards Air Force Base in 1954 and others at Holloman Air Force Base and, I mean, go on, Rendlesham. Uh, but for the most part, I think, yeah, what they're doing is sort of this sort of clandestine secret contact with the population at large to sort of wake us up to their presence so that when they finally do come down, we won't all go running for the hills or, you know, fall down on our knees and start worshiping them.
1: That's it. What you just said. I remember years ago at a MUFON, not a MUFON, a International UFO Congress years ago, I I met a former military person and we were having a conversation on the side and I said, so tell me, why do you think that if we all know and you know that this is a reality, And he can't talk about it publicly, of course. But I said, why haven't we seen disclosure? This is the 21st century now. This is not 1947 Roswell. I think people are more open minded. And he said, very simple our president's job is one job only. Well, many jobs, but the most important one has two words domestic tranquility. And yes, there's people like you and like Preston Dennett and many of our listeners who are open minded and ready for this. But he said, the majority of the population or you know let's say half the population is not ready for this then domestic tranquility will suffer the economy uh, imagine religion everybody's going to start questioning religion remember the series the newer incarnation of the series v a few years ago where the 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 catholic church was portrayed as being very concerned that people's devotion would be switching to the aliens but instead more people went to church for guidance so i think religion has a lot to do with it we have uh, uh, many believers who who just don't want to think that perhaps our version of god is not the real version of god and that could create i mean we've seen wars for thousands of years imagine if a new reality comes from antarctica and that we find a new new information of a 13000 year civilization that that lived there and all of a sudden a new religion comes out, and we call it a new religion. And by the way, I'm planting seeds here, folks, because I've been told that this is what's coming down the pike. Have you heard that?
0: Um, well, in so many words, yeah. I think that if you look in human history, religion was very, very strong in the Middle Ages and moving onward up through the seventeen, eighteen and 1900s. But it's had a real sharp decline um, in terms of the number of people who become priests and nuns and what have you and uh i think that there's a movement towards spirituality as opposed to religion uh and i think emphasizing that would be people who have had major contact often come away from their experiences less religious and uh in terms of you know s- strict strict religions and uh, become more spiritual more spiritual and more interested in spirituality as opposed to you know going to church every Sunday and saying mass and doing rituals, uh, yeah, I think that that is definitely trending towards that.
1: Somebody shared a meme the other day with me that showed all the galaxies, and it says, "If God created all these galaxies, why would He want 10% of your paycheck?" So you know, <laughs> <laughs> it makes you wonder. Uh, and I don't mean to to offend anybody who's religious, folks. I just uh. And just stating some facts here. I think in the past, perhaps there was a marriage between science and spirituality. And right now we have them separate. There's this war and they're both dogmatic. I mean, science is here for what can be proven. And religion is here for what cannot be proven. And if it cannot be proven, you cannot question it. So, you know, that's, that's just have- a thought.
0: Both, both science and religion have their weaknesses. I think. I think science has got it wrong when they when they re- reduced everything to materialism, and that's just not the case. If you look at you know advanced physics now, they're certainly kind of coinciding with a lot of uh, religious type principles. And uh, religion doesn't have it right either. I mean, if you can combine the two, I think that we're going to get more answers.
1: In these cases that you've had, you've Gathered and researched for all these years, and we'll we'll dive into the book shortly. How do you discern when somebody comes to you and of obviously if they come to you because they trust you and you have been recommended by many people, but how do you discern how do you determine since they can they don't have a souvenir here here's an ashtray from the spacecraft that just abducted I me mean, How do you discern who's telling the truth
0: uh well, you know everybody lies that's we know that's true from the president on down. So it's difficult for sure. Um, initially I knew these people were telling the truth because this was my brother. This was my sister-in-law. This was someone I had worked with for many years, uh, someone I trusted and loved. And initially that's how I was able to determine it. There's probably something to this, but as I got deeper and deeper into research and interviewing a lot of people, I started to See what I would call red um, flags—little details that you don't often hear. um, Certainly not back in the day—about what it's like to have uh, ET contact or to be taken on board. In terms of, you know, describing what does the inside of a UFO look like, there'd be some weird little details that nobody knows about, and I kept hearing them. And these stories were so similar. That at some point, you know, it just kind of crumbles your wall of doubt. There's other ways. You can see when someone's talking about this, like I mentioned earlier, they're very reluctant. They don't want to talk about it. They're not seeking publicity. Uh, most people don't want you to use their name. This is not the profile of a hoaxer. They are very emotional often when they get to the meat of their encounter and, uh, Sometimes, you know, I'm, I always want to record their stories because, you know, I'm a researcher. I, I want to have the evidence. So I talk to this person and they'll have me turn off the recorder because there's certain parts they don't want to be recorded. Uh, so there's, it's, it's hard to tell. I, when I find a really good case, I'm like, gosh, is this person lying to me? I do an initial interview. I'll do a follow up interview. I'll do an, another interview after that. I will get uh, character witnesses, particularly if they're a really amazing case. I want to talk to their spouse, I want to talk to, you know, any family members, anyone who can back up their story in any way. And you know, some of these people do have evidence that they can point to. They do have medical problems, say, or a healing, or they have a weird fluorescence on their skin, or a implant evidence, or, you know, landing trace evidence or documents or sightings in their area at the time they saw it. So there's all kinds of corroborative evidence. Um, we're kind of still shy, not quite there with the smoking gun evidence, but we're darn close. I mean, some of this implant evidence is just mind-blowing in terms of what's going on there
1: yeah unfortunately, we lost a good one, Dr. Roger Lear, a couple of years ago, who was in the forefront of all of these the the implants. But as you say, you know when I talk to people, first of all, they have nothing to gain. they have more to lose by telling the stories and sometimes I remember years ago I met again one of these very important cases that I cannot share yet because I haven't been authorized, but I met with this man for four or five hours, and he was telling me and showing me. Pictures, some of them are in my possession, which I can't share yet. Some UFO researchers have seen those pictures all the way from the 80s till the, years, the 2000s. And he hasn't even told his wife. Some of this visitation happened in his own house while the wife is at work. And he's telling me, if I tell my wife, she would go nuts. She probably will divorce me. And you know, from many people that we have interviewed, that is the case. If the wife or the husband or what have you, the partner, is not in in tune in the same wavelength and is not open-minded, this creates a lot of problems.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, within my own family, and I'm not even an abductee or anything. Certainly, I scoured my past because I'm obsessed with this subject and probably have had some levels of contact at this point. But, uh, yeah, my family became divided. My father never accepted it to the day he died. My same with my older brother. I think I've got most on my side now because I I won't give up. I get a little preachy with them because, you know, I can. And I show them, you know, like the police tape that I got a hold of where people were calling 911 to report UFOs. Or I'll show them photos that I get or whatever evidence I can come up with and say, well, what do you think of this? So I, I, wore, them, I wore them down eventually. But, yeah, a lot of people are gonna get a real wake-up call if they're trying hoax and are looking for attention and glory and money because that's not what comes with announcing that you've been on board a UFO you you'll clear a room much faster than you'll have people you know offering you money I never pay for interviews I'm absolutely not that's always been a rule uh, so I, I am absolutely convinced and have been for a long time that the vast majority of people that I talk to uh, are telling the truth.
1: Do you get that question too? Because I get that question pretty frequently. How much did you pay this or that person to come on your show? And I have, I have never paid a penny. I no, only I have- had once once in my other health-related show, somebody wanted me to pay him and I said absolutely not. But aside from that, never.
0: Yeah, I am occasionally asked, and it's always a little bit insulting. Like, no, I I do not pay for interviews. Are you crazy?
1: No. But your dad, your relatives, your dad, for example, you're saying that he never accepted this. Did he go through it? Did he experience the phenomenon?
0: No, never did. Didn't want to. I gave him you know, Clear Intent by Larry Fawcett. uh, Great book. Would change anyone's mind, I think, if they could objectively read it. He wouldn't read it. He wouldn't look at the evidence. And this is something I found with diehard skeptics. Don't bother me with the facts. <laughs> Not interested.
1: Now, that book by Larry Fawcett, what is it again?
0: Uh, clear Intent. It was also republished as the UFO Cover Up, but a, definitely a major pioneering book in which they described UFOs over UFO sightings over various military bases in the United States and elsewhere.
1: Let's dive into your book and we'll obviously dive more into it um, part two of the show. But why don't we begin with the the first story? Can you summarize it? This is a Navy corpsman who was invited aboard a UFO by his shipmate. I mean, again, these are military people.
0: Yeah, great witness. I mean, not that I, you know, I've, I've interviewed housewives and, you know, bill collectors and secretaries and waitresses and. But when I get an, a Navy corpsman or a Navy electronics specialist or military guy, or it's it's always a little bit nicer because they're trained observers and uh, have a lot of experience with aircraft. And that was certainly true of Kevin Kamen, uh, who was a Navy corpsman and back in the 1980s was assigned aboard this ship. And his best friend, a personnel clerk, came out of the blue one day. They bunked together in the same dorm. That's how they became friends, in the same cabin. His best friend says, hey, you know what? I'm in contact with aliens. They took me to their planet. They've taken me to other planets. I've been contacted since childhood and uh, have regular contact with them. And Kevin, he always believed in UFOs. He did a school paper as a child. and. expecting to disprove the phenomena, came away convinced, but was kind of skeptical of his friend's claims because he'd never heard of anything quite like this, and uh, told him, well, you know, if that's true, I'd like to meet your little green men, is what he said. And his friend's like, oh, well, I'll see what I can do. His friend comes back a few days later and says, you know, my friends just took me to your house. And Kevin's like, what are you talking about? You know, They're out in the middle of the ocean, and uh, he says, no, yeah, they took me to your house. I saw the shag rugs. I saw the con- convertible you owned. I saw the milkshake stain on the seat. I saw all this stuff. And Kevin was floored because every detail he said was absolutely correct. But here's where it got really bizarre. And this upset Kevin to no end. is All these details were about 10 years in the past. Uh, there's no way he could have known this unless he... Time traveled. Uh, he had no other explanation. Um, it really upset him, and uh, could not come up with an explanation for this. He's thinking, you know, is my friend in the CIA? What's going on? You know, even that wasn't sufficient to explain all these details. So a couple days later, his friend comes down to the cabin and says, "They're here. You know, go up on deck. You can see the UFO, and uh, you can have contact now." And Kevin's like, oh, okay. So he, it's just a short walk to the top of the ship there. Uh, he was on his lunch hour and goes up onto the deck. It's a big Navy ship. It's like, you know, 500, 600 feet, uh, long. And he goes up on deck and right up above, maybe a couple hundred feet up and off to the side is this giant, giant craft. He says it was easily twice the size of the Navy ship, absolutely beautiful. It looked like a glowing crystal, was covered with colored lights, was dazzling and unmistakable. And he did what anyone should do when they see a UFO, which is get another witness. Uh, There was other people on the deck at the time. He recognized the mess cook talking to someone else, runs over to them and starts shaking them. Now, look, look at this. Look at this and could not get their attention he says it was as if he was not even there and next thing he knows he is on board this craft looking down at the navy ship which is rapidly receding into the distance you know as if the craft that he's on is moving out into outer space which apparently it was so he's going <laughs> um, to AWOL um, yeah he, that's actually what he thought he's like oh I'm AWOL and they're like "No, nope, they don't even know you're gone this is what he heard in his head now, he's terrified, He's absolutely just out of his mind with fear, and refuses to turn around and look at who's ever talking, um, telepathically, by the way, not verbally, but he heard a male voice, ended up hearing you know, two or three different male voices talking to him, and they said, no, they don't even know you're gone. Next thing he knows, he's over his hometown in Kinkakee, Illinois. And it's daytime there, which is impossible. It should be night. Uh, And he is right over the town, right over the building where his mother teaches, a little church. And he can see through the UFO as if it's, I mean, it turns transparent right where he's looking, as if there were a window, uh, which interestingly is a detail I've heard before. And he could see inside the church. He could see his mom teaching and she's writing on the chalkboard. And uh, next thing he knows, the UFO moves and just a couple of blocks down to where his dad works in a bank building. And he can see through the wall of the UFO, through the wall of the building, he can see past the air conditioner ducts and all the electrical wiring and the construction material into the center of the building where his dad works as a, a bank executive. And the ETs tell him, you know, your parents did a good job. They're very honorable people. And he, Kevin's thinking, well, how do you know my parents? Why are you telling me this? What, What is this all about? And they didn't really answer. The next thing he knows, see, this was very overwhelming for him. So he kind of probably forgot, he says, some of what happened. And he's not sure he has it in the correct order either. But uh, next thing he knows... He is looking down through the floor of this UFO. Um, He was standing on, he described it like metal grid work. It reminded him of a fire escape. And uh, he's looking down and can see through the UFO again, down to the surface of what looks like desert, gray sand. And he's like, where is this? What's going on? And he starts seeing craters. He's thinking to himself, you know, this kind of reminds me of the moon. This actually looks like the moon. And he's trying to come to grips with that when they come over the horizon and he looks and he sees planet Earth, just like you see, you know, in the moon photos taken by the astronauts. And he says, Preston, I nearly, you know, he, he swore, but uh, he nearly loosened his bowels, <laughs> basically what he said. Uh, could not believe what he was seeing. He's like, this is the moon. This cannot be happening and by this point, he started to gather his wits enough to converse a little bit with whoever was piloting this craft. And he's like, who are you guys? Where do you come from? And uh, this is where it got very interesting. He, he says the room expanded in size, darkened, and suddenly all these stars came up around him and planets. And he instantly recognized our own solar system. You could see Earth, the Moon, you know, the Sun, Mars, all of it, and all these stars around it, way off into the distance, and way, way off in the corner of the room, there was this little red light blinking on and off. And they said, that's where we come from. Um, It's it's interesting, because he said the room would change size, uh, which is one of those rare details that I, I mentioned earlier that I hear, not a whole lot, but pretty consistently, And it's uh, not a lot of people know about it. So uh, that's uh, one way I'm like, gosh, (laughs) here I'm hearing this again. Maybe this guy is definitely telling me the truth. So uh, he started asking them all kinds of questions and they answered. He asked them what they ate. They said, no, he says, you're you're not going to eat me, are you? Like, no, no, no. They, They said they eat vegetables and fish and things like this. Uh, they said they're in contact with most of the major governments on our planet. They said they speak all the different languages on our planet and have been observing us for a very, very long time. But started paying much closer attention to us after we started exploding atomic bombs. And which is a which, uh,
1: which is a story you hear from so many people who have contact. That that's that's right. the that's the time, Trinity. The nuclear explosions, that's when they start saying, hey, what's going on, the kids have found the matches.
0: Exactly, that coincides exactly with the modern age of UFOs, precisely. So I don't think that's a coincidence. A lot of researchers have pointed that out. And Kevin didn't know that. So he's hearing this for the first time. He, you know, uh, he asked about Roswell, he said, oh yeah, that happened. Um, he said that the, our government is trading technology with them Uh, He said, they said all kinds of things, a lot of which he says he probably doesn't remember. In exchange Um, of, and I don't mean to interrupt interrupt you, but in exchange exchange, of. He he didn't really say specifically, just uh, that we're trading technology with them. Uh, And apparently, you know, our government does have ET technology. That's what these ETs were saying. They said that there was a number of different races that are in contact with our major governments, they said that since we started messing around with atomic power, everyone started paying attention to us, and we started a countdown clock. They didn't specify exactly what that meant, other than suddenly they decided to take him to another area and show him all these disasters that would take place. They said over and over again, destiny will be fulfilled. And showed him hurricanes, they showed him mudslides, they showed him tornadoes and mining disasters and all kinds of disasters, um, little ones, big ones, worldwide and kept telling him, yeah this is all gonna happen, this will take place uh, because you have messed around with the environment. Uh, they even showed him a motorcycle accident that he would have uh, on a Honda motorbike, which hadn't even been invented yet, uh, which ended up, did it did happen exactly as they said. And, you know, after the experience, he did see some of these disasters actually take place. But they showed them all of this in full color. It was as if he was actually there. Um, they said that they would not discuss politics. <laughs> they would not discuss religion. And they would not discuss race, which... I found fascinating, um, he told me that recently, he remembered that more recently, that's not in the book, uh, and what I find fascinating about that is those are the issues which are really paralyzing us as a society right now, um, we're having a lot of conflict with it, and apparently they saw that coming and were not willing to interfere, that's basically what I told him. that we're laissez-faire, we're not going to interfere in human affairs, we're just here to observe.
1: But if we are able to, if he was able to see his future Honda bike and the accident, does that mean that not only do they have storage of our past, but for some reason they have a storage of our future?
0: Um, It looks like it. Uh, This is, you know, kind of what we're stuck with because they've shown this ability to see events in the past and the future uh, multiple times. And, uh, it's, uh, his is not the only case like this. I've got a number of cases in which ETs seem to be able to manipulate time to a degree that, I mean, we're gonna have to call it time travel. I don't know, I don't know what else to call it. Uh, I think it points to our misunderstanding of what exactly time is and space and advanced physics. I mean, their technology is stupendous. Uh, but at some point he finally did gather the courage to turn around and look at them um, and that's when he got a, a tremendous shock He's, he says like, well what do you look like <laughs> and they said well we're not little green men kind of evading the answer and he kind of waited a little well and uh, he, they said some people find us frightening to look at and uh, finally he just turned around and looked at them and he saw three large kind of stone white or marble chairs, uh, like thrones kind of, but with a giant kind of circular backrest. And these chairs were not facing them. They swiveled around and faced him. And on each one of these chairs were giant praying mantis type figures. And one stood up and he says, Preston, it was 15 feet tall. I'm like, mm, maybe it was like 10. He's like, no, 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 it was 15 feet tall. It was taller than a basketball board. You know, when you throw up a basketball.
1: So hold on right there, because we're we coming into segment two, and I wanted people to, to listen to this on part two as well. We want to finish with the first case of your book, and this is a fascinating story, again, by a military man. And I'm always fascinated by the fact that a lot of these military men or women, they go through this from a early childhood, and then they joined the military. I see this a lot, Sergeant Clifford Stone, and many of them have told me similar stories. But how can people buy InSight UFOs, through Accounts of Contact, and all your other 20 books, Preston?
0: Uh, well, they're available at bookstores near you, if you, there still is a bookstore near you, um, or on Amazon or Barnes and Noble uh, websites, or you can just visit my website, uh, which, if you Google my name, it'll take you right there. Uh, the actual website address is prestondennett.weebly.com. I've got all my books there and excerpts, and if you want to contact me through my website, I'm always interested in hearing from people, whether they've got a question or a story to share.
1: But yeah. Well, folks, join me in the member section because we have so much more to discuss. We're diving into the cases now. And we haven't finished with this first case about the pre and some of the other things that Kevin Kenman, the subject, saw with these aliens, extraterrestrials, whatever you want to call it. This is Mel Fabrigus. I'm here with Preston Dennett, and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. See you in the members section. Thanks for listening to part one of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, head on over to the members section or subscribe at Veritasradio.com. You don't want to miss the rest. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for lots of great products. Thank you.